Second Samuel chapter number 9. All right, beginning in verse number 1, And David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? There was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. When they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul, that I may show the kindness of God unto him? Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son, which is lame on his feet. The king said unto him, Where is he? Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Then king David sent and fetched him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come unto David, he fell on his face, and did reverence. David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold thy servant. Boy, if you've ever heard a message on Mephibosheth, I'll read that just for you. David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold thy servant. And David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show ye the, the, the kindness uh, for Jonathan thy father's sake, and will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father. Thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. And he bowed himself and said, What is thy servant that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am? Then the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said unto him, I have given unto thy master's son all that pertain to Saul and to all his house. Thou therefore and thy sons and thy servants shall till the land for him. Thou shalt bring in the fruits that thy master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, thy master's son, shall eat bread alway at my table. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then said Ziba unto the king, According to all that my lord the king hath commanded his servant, so shall thy servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table, as one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all that dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants unto Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table and was lame on both his feet. Turn back to chapter number 4 with me. You may be wondering who this Mephibosheth fellow is and how he got in such a situation. Saul was the first king over Israel by man's reckoning. David was the first king by God's reckoning. And Saul was a wicked man. He hated David even though David loved Saul. You know, God's people many times are hated of those that they love. He loved Saul. Saul had a son named Jonathan. Jonathan loved David. David loved Jonathan. They had a close relationship. Well, Jonathan had a son named Mephibosheth. And the Bible tells us in 2 Samuel chapter number 4 how Mephibosheth got into such a pitiful shape. How does a king's son wind up in a barren place, lame on both of his feet? It says in verse 1, And when Saul's son heard that Abner was dead in Hebron, and his hands were feeble, and all the Israelites were troubled, and Saul's son had two men that were captains of bands, the name of the one was Bana, and the name of the other Rechab, the son of Rimon, a Berethite of the children of Benjamin, for Beroth also was reckoned to Benjamin. And the Berethites fled to Gideon, 
and were sojourners there unto this day. And Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son that was lame of his feet. He was five years old when the tidings came of Saul and Jonathan out of Jezreel. That's speaking of the defeat of Saul and Jonathan at Jezreel, that they were killed in battle. And his nurse took him up and fled, and it came to pass as she made haste to flee that he fell and became lame, and his name was Mephibosheth. Would you pray with me today? Heavenly Father, Lord, I need your help this morning. Lord, I know I'm insufficient for the task. But, Lord, I know that you are our sufficiency. That's what you told us. God, my earnest desire is that your people would meet with you today. Lord, I know you have a desire to meet with us. And, God, I believe if we have a desire to meet with you that we can through the blood of Christ, by that covenant and that fellowship, And I just pray, Heavenly Father, that Your Holy Spirit would move in a mighty way. Lord, except You impart this knowledge to us, we can't understand these passages. But Your Holy Spirit leads and guides us, and He teaches us all things. And I just pray, Father, that He would have liberty in this service today. If there's someone here that does not know Christ, they may know a lot about church and religion and being a good person, but they don't know who Jesus Christ is personally in their lives. They've never met Him. I pray they'd not leave this place today except they'd come to know Him as their Savior. Now, Father, I'm asking these things, and I'm not asking others to do them, but I'm asking You to, Lord, because You're capable and You're faithful. Lord, I don't ask these for my benefit. Lord, You know my heart better than I do, but I ask these for Your glory and for Your honor. Father, we ask these things in the precious name which every knee shall bow. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. I'm sure this isn't the first time you've been in 2 Samuel chapter number 9. If you've been going here since I've been here, I know it's not the first time you've been in 2 Samuel chapter 9. I preach from this passage. And I'll be honest, as a preacher, you know, there's some times that you preach messages that are hard to preach and and, uh, the the subject matter, you know, it's difficult. But uh, when the Lord lays 2 Samuel chapter 9 on my heart, I, I get a little excited. Because this is one of my favorite chapters in the whole Word of God to preach on. You see, in 2 Samuel chapter 9, we have probably one of the most beautiful pictures of the grace of God in all of the Word of God. We find ourselves in the reign of King David. David has established his kingdom in Israel. Uh, There's no one contesting for the throne. And it was typical in those times that when a king arose to the throne that he'd murder the lineage of all of the former king if it was not his father. And uh, he would put down all of his enemies so that his kingdom would be safe. David's just done this. But all of a sudden within the royal heart of the king there comes an attitude of grace. And he remembers a relationship, a friendship that he had with Saul, the former king's son, Jonathan. And uh, by every right and by every distinction, all of Saul's family had a right to die under the king's hand. But we find that David echoes these words. He sends his servant forth and he says, Is there any, any, any of the house of Saul that I can show kindness to? Well, the picture kind of adjusts. You know, sometimes maybe I'm too carnal, but sometimes I read God's Word almost like it's a movie. And here comes the cut shot. Here's David in the palace. He says, is there anyone, anyone, anyone that I can show the kindness of God to? And all of a sudden, here's a cut shot to one of the most miserable creatures you've ever laid eyes on. Here's a young man by the name of Mephibosheth. 
He was Jonathan's son. The Bible tells us he was lame on both of his feet. He lived in a place called Lodabar. Lodabar means the place of no pasture, the place of no provision. He was the son of a man named Makir. The name Makir means sold. A man that probably had been a slave at some point in his life. He lives in the house of this man. And he's in a wretched place. But in this passage, we have a picture of a few things that just bless my heart. And I hope they'll bless yours this morning. You see, when I look at Mephibosheth, I don't just see Mephibosheth. I see me. And I see you. When I look at David, I don't just see David. But I see a picture of our great God. When I read this passage, I don't just read the passage of the redemption of a wretched creature from a wretched place and a wretched situation to be allowed to sit at the table of the King. But I see a picture of what Christ did for you. And what Christ did for me. You read this passage and you see a man that is broken. He's physically broken. He's uh, broken as far as his family is concerned. He's financially broken. He's literally living a beggar's life. You see a man that is bankrupt in every way. But you see a man that is beckoned by the king. I want you to notice a few things. I'm going to try to be brief this morning. I say that a lot. Do you believe it yet? Adolf Hitler used to say that uh, if you tell a lie long enough and loud enough, people start to believe it. They're more likely to believe a, a big lie than they are a small lie. And so every week I tell you I'm going to preach a short sermon. And one of these days you're going to start to believe me. Amen. I want to say there's two ways that I look at Mephibosheth and I see a picture of me. You see, when I see Mephibosheth, I see a man that was broken and bankrupt and beckoned. I see a man that was at the outskirts of society. I see a man that had no hope and that had no help in this entire world. The Bible tells us a few things about him. And I want to say that in a lot of ways, Mephibosheth reminds me of the sinner because of where he lived. The Bible says he lived in a barren place called Lodabar. One writer said you don't get much lower than Lodabar. Lodabar was a beggar's place. Lodabar was a place where there was no provision. Lodabar was a place where a man couldn't provide for himself even if he could work. Literally, whenever Mephibosheth uh, moved to Lodabar, he was in the lowest of the lowest of the lowest of places. Lodabar would have been the kind of place that you and I would have avoided driving through if we were heading across the country. Lodabar would have been considered a slum. Lodabar would have been considered a no man's land. What I'm trying to get you to understand this morning is that Mephibosheth was at the bottom of the barrel. He was a wretched person. Mephibosheth's name uh, indicates the idea of a shameful thing. Mephibosheth was shameful not only in his uh, in the place that he lived, uh, but also in his appearance. The Bible says he was lame on both of his feet. Mephibosheth did not have the capacity to walk and to do for himself. He couldn't help himself. You know, uh, it's easy sometimes to look at a man that can work and won't work and look at him with disdain. Isn't that true? I mean, we see people like that all the time. They could work and they refuse to work. And you look at them and you say, well, they could help themselves if they wanted to. Mephibosheth was a man that couldn't help himself. Mephibosheth was completely handicapped to function. Do you know that in a lot of ways that pictures you and that pictures me? 
I don't know if you realize how low you were when God found you. I I tend to believe that uh, the Christian life would seem like a lot higher ground if we just realized the low pit we were in when God saved us. You see, a lot of times you see Christians that get discontented with the Christian life. You know that? I've met a few people like that. And uh, they say, well, you know, I'm just depressed. Well, you know, it's just always sad. It's always down. I'm discouraged. Life is tough. You know, I just wonder sometimes if it wouldn't be good for God to drive us through Lodabar in our lives and show us the state we were in when He found us. I, I want to explain to you exactly where you were at when God found you. I want to say, number one, you were on your way to hell. It don't get much lower than that. You were on your way to a devil's hell. You said, well, I just wouldn't have gone there. You're going to die one of these days if the Lord don't come back first. You were headed to hell. Not only were you headed to hell, not only were you in a low place and going lower, but you were completely bankrupt in every way, shape, fashion, or form. You know that a lost person does not have any means to gain peace to themselves. This world provides no peace. This nation that we live in provides no peace. Do you know even church and your family can't provide real peace? Real peace comes from one person, and that's the Prince of Peace. That's the only place peace comes from. No doubt uh, Mephibosheth spent a lot of restless nights there in Lodabar. No doubt there were times when the bandits were outside and the wolves were howling and Mephibosheth there, unable to defend himself, was scared and restless and had no peace whatsoever. The Bible says there's no peace to the wicked man, none whatsoever. It says they're like the storm clouds. They just toss to and fro and to and fro. Mephibosheth was a lot like the sinner because of where he lived. But I want to say Mephibosheth was a lot like the sinner because of why he was lame. The Bible says, gives us a story in 2 Samuel chapter number 4, how Mephibosheth came to be lame on both of his feet. The Bible tells us that after Jonathan and Saul had been slain, uh, that the nurse that took care of Mephibosheth was fleeing from the household. And then all of a sudden, as she's running, Mephibosheth falls and becomes lame on both of his feet. He wasn't born that way. You see, whenever he was first created, he was not created lame. He became lame through a fall. You know that mankind, whenever God created him, was created perfect. The Bible says God looked at him and said, He's very good. Must have been looking at me, amen. said, He's very good. But do you know the reason that men die and go to hell is because mankind went through a fall. In Genesis chapter number 3, it tells us about this fall that takes place. It wasn't a fall to the ground, but it was a fall lower than the ground whenever mankind chose to sin and disobey God, the entire human race fell into depravity. Now every single person that's born is born a sinner. You're not born a bad person. You're born a sinner. You're not born an immoral person. You're born a sinner. You're not born uh, with an alternate lifestyle. Amen? Amen? You're born a sinner. You're not born an alcoholic. You're born a sinner. The Bible says we're born that way. It's by our nature. The psalmist said, in sin did my mother conceive me. He said, I was shapen in iniquity. The truth is, you and I, the reason that we're on our way to hell without Christ is because of a fall that we've been through. Boy, it would be sad if we just left it in Lodabar, wouldn't it? You know, it would. boy, wouldn't this world be a sad world if there had never been a Calvary? Wouldn't this world be a tragic place if there had never been a Calvary? You know, I'm thankful the story doesn't end in Lodabar, though. 
I imagine to myself, and you just let me tell a story and preach while I do it, amen. I imagine that Mephibosheth spent a lot of lonely, miserable nights in Lodabar. And probably he was sitting, you won't find this, don't look, you'll, 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 you'll tear your concordance to pieces looking for this. this. This, you won't find it there, it's in between the lines, amen. But I imagine that Mephibosheth was sitting at the house one day, and all of a sudden he, here's a knock at the door. Mephibosheth says to himself, well, who could that be coming to visit a man like me? Who could it be coming to my door? Who would come and visit a dead dog like me? And he goes to the door and opens it up, and here's a man in royal apparel. He wonders to himself, who have I made angry now? Who have I upset now? Surely this is David's servant that has come to take me away and to kill me because I'm one of Saul's son. You see, not only was Mephibosheth feeble, but he was a fugitive as well. Uh, he was running from David. Who do you think they were running from when they fled the house there in Jezreel? They were running from whoever was going to be king next. He was a fugitive from the king. No doubt he probably thought to himself, well, surely he's come to take me away. I'm going to lose my head. He opens the door and looks at this man says, Hello, this is the house of Mephibosheth. It's good to see you. Who are you? That's how I open my door. That's how you open yours, right? Amen. The man said, I'm Ziba. And I've come for a man named Mephibosheth. I'm sure Mephibosheth thought to himself, Boy, I'm in trouble. He said, Well, what is it that you want? Ziba looked at him and said, Well, Mephibosheth, I'm from King David. He's asked for your attendance in his court. Mephibosheth probably hobbled into that chariot and sat there, and as he rode off towards Jerusalem, he probably thought he was riding to his death. The thing he didn't realize is that he had been a recipient of God's grace. He wasn't riding to his death. He was riding to his deliverance. You see, that chariot that took him away from Lodabar was taking him to the king's palace, not to put him to death, but to give him new life. I want to say in a lot of ways, I think Mephibosheth presents a sinner to us. But can I say that in a lot of ways, King David presents a sovereign God to us. You say, preacher, why does King David present to us the sovereign God? I want to say first off, because his kingdom was established. His kingdom was settled. David had just got through putting down all the enemies of his kingdom and he was settled upon his throne. No one was contending it, no one was challenging it. I like the passage in Philippians chapter number 2 where the Bible says that Christ is seated at the right hand of God expecting till His enemies be made His footstool. Do you know that in this world that we live in, no matter how it reels and no matter how it rocks, our God's throne is still settled in heaven? No one can unsettle God. The Bible tells us in Psalms chapter number 2, it says, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? It talks about all the wickedness of this world. And we live in a wicked, wicked, wicked world. Oh, but I'm thankful that the Bible then says, But the Lord setteth His Holy One in Zion. It doesn't disrupt God one bit that this world is so wicked. He's still on His throne. His kingdom is established and His kingdom is settled. But I want to say secondly, because his kindness was substitutionary. Uh, this is one of the most beautiful pictures in all the Word of God to me. David did not say, I'm going to bring Mephibosheth into my household because I love Mephibosheth. That's not what he said. 
He did not say, I'm going to bring Mephibosheth into my household because Mephibosheth is such a great guy. He did not say, I'm going to bring Mephibosheth into my household because he is a valuable person to me. But he said, is there any of the house of Saul that I may show him the kindness of God for Jonathan's sake? I want to tell you the whole reason that David called Mephibosheth's name. He did it because of Jonathan. Can I tell you the whole reason that God saved you? And could save me. The Bible says, God hath forgiven you also for Christ's sake. There's only one way to heaven. I know this world teaches multiple ways to heaven, doesn't it? Teaches, well, you can be a Buddhist and you'll go to the Buddhist heaven. Or you can be a Hindu, you'll go to the Hindu heaven. Uh, you can believe in nirvana and you won't go anywhere. <laughs> Amen. You can, uh, uh, you can uh, be a Muslim and go to the Muslim heaven. And uh, all these various heavens, then I think the liberals think that God's just tricking them. We're going to get there. It's all going to be one big heaven. Can I tell you something? The Bible says in John chapter 14, Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father, how? But by me. There's only one way you're going to get to heaven. You see, it's God's heaven. If you're going to get there, you're going to have to get there His way. And he said, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. David said, I'll show kindness to any of the house of Saul, but I'm doing it for Jonathan's sake. You know what I like? He did not say uh, a certain particular person. He said, is there any of the house of Saul? Is there any of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness to Jonathan for Jonathan's sake? You say, what's the significance of that? Well, there's some that would have us to believe that God predestined some people to heaven, predestined some people to hell. You say, but the Bible says it's any of Saul's household for Jonathan's sake. That denotes an elect group of people. No, what it denotes is people for whom Jonathan cared for. The Bible says Christ tasted death for every man. Is there any, any, any of the house of Saul? You see, David was willing to take anyone. It just so happened when God wanted to paint us a picture of grace, He picked the most wretched man in the whole kingdom to bring out a load of bar. We find in this a picture of God as the sovereign, or David as the sovereign God. But I want to say that the picture that we see is a picture of salvation. Mephibosheth is taken in the chariot and he's brought back to the king's palace. No doubt he was counting down the minutes until he would die. He knew just as soon as he saw King David that it was all going to be over, off with his head. The kings had killed men for a lot less. Certainly, uh, David would have had a right to do that if he had wanted to. The judgment of God upon the house of Saul had almost completely extinguished the lineage of Saul. Mephibosheth is the only wretched example that's left. And surely it would ease the mind of David just to kill him, put him to death, be done with it. Mephibosheth knew he was a dead man. In his mind, he was condemned already. A fugitive from the king and on his way to his death. You know, the Bible says that you and I were condemned already. We're not waiting to get to heaven and see a big scale put up with our good works on one side and our bad works on the other to see what balances out. But the Bible says that we're condemned already, that the wrath of God abideth on us. Boy, this is where the story gets so good. Uh, Mephibosheth is brought in before King David. And the Bible says he bowed himself and did reverence himself. 
And there he laid prostrate before the king, laying on his face, wondering what he's going to hear. Certainly he expected the king to say, Criminal! Certainly he expected the king to say, Condemned! Certainly he expected the king to say, Dead man! But the king said, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. He called him by his name. You know, that's a personal thing. <laughs> I don't know about you, friend. I don't know. Have you ever been walking? This ain't never happened to me. You may be walking in public all the time. I mean, I've had people call me all kinds of stuff out in public. Amen. When you've got a beard, let me explain something to you. When you've got a beard, people treat you like you're Asian. You know, American people think all Asian people look alike, right? Non-bearded people think all bearded people look alike. It doesn't matter. They'll look at you and say, oh, you look like Osama bin Laden. They'll say stuff like that to me. I'm as white as white gets, but they'll, they'll look at you and say things like that. But typically, when you're out in public, somebody that doesn't know you does not just call your name. I mean, typically, if you're out in public and somebody hollers out and says, Bill, Bill's turned around and he's expecting to see somebody he knows. And all the more so when a man of prominence calls your name. No doubt Mephibosheth thought to himself, why would David even know my name? Of all the sons of Saul and of all the sons that Jonathan had, why would he know my name? And yet David spoke his name there in the palace, said Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. You know, our Lord has a habit of calling His children by His name. (laughs) He has a habit of doing that. Uh, there at the burning bush, what was it God said? He said, Moses, Moses. Uh, there uh, by the tomb, tear-stained eyes of that blessed woman. And God said, Mary, there upon the road to Damascus, that high-minded Pharisee knocked to the ground. God said, Saul, Saul. Can I say that you will never, ever know what salvation is until you've heard Him call your name? You say, what do you mean, call my name? We find in this passage a picture of the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You say, preacher, do you mean you have to be under conviction to be saved? Yes. Yes. (laughs) It's that simple. No man can come unto the Father except, no man can come unto me except the Father draw him. That's the only way. Now, the Bible says if the Son be lifted up, He'll draw all men unto Himself. Doesn't mean it's going to be a great big emotional show. But I'll tell you why we've got a lot of professions of salvation instead of possessions of salvation. You know why that is? Because we've got a lot of people that have, don't have a clue that they're a sinner, but they want to call on a Savior. What was the next thing Mephibosheth said? David looks at him and says, Mephibosheth, fear not, fear not. He says, I will surely show the kindness of God to thee for Jonathan thy father's sake. He did not say, I might show it to you. Let me show you grace in this passage. Are you ready? He didn't say, if you do this, I'll do this. He didn't say, Mephibosheth, if you'll hold up your side of the bargain, I'll hold up mine. He didn't say, Mephibosheth, if you'll prove your worth to me, then I'll do these things for you. He said, I will surely, surely, surely show thee the kindness of God. Let me tell you what grace is. Grace is the complete and utter unmerited favor and love and bounty of God through the person of Jesus Christ upon the undeserving sinner. There's no such thing as deserving grace. That's an oxymoron. If you deserve it, it's not grace. 
What is grace? Gratis. It's free. Free of charge. He didn't just give him a little bit, but he gave him everything. The grace of God, my friend, is God's everything for your absolute nothing. It's God giving you all the riches of Christ Jesus. All of them. When you've not done a thing in the world to deserve it. We find that he spoke his name and he said to him, Mephibosheth, I will surely show thee the kindness of God. And he bestows these things upon him. And what effect did it have upon Mephibosheth? You know what he said? He said, such a dead dog as I am. You see, the truth of the matter is the grace of God is a humbling thing. The grace of God is an abasing thing. When you know what the grace of God is in your life, you don't get puffed up and self-reliant. The grace of God takes the sinner and shows him that he's just a dead dog. What could a dead dog give a king? Nothing. Nothing. I mean, I don't know about you. I got rid of my dog a few months ago. Uh, a living dog's not worth a lot, amen. <laughs> but, uh, but a dead dog's worth a lot less worthless in fact a dead dog i don't know if you've ever had a pet die on you i got a funny story that i won't tell in such classy company about throwing a dead possum over a pasture fence you get with me in fellowship time i'll tell you about it make sure you're not eating but uh a dead animal really is just a burden it's just a burden something that most people would just get rid of but mephibosheth says how is it that thou wouldest look upon me such a dead dog as I am. Mephibosheth says, God, there, uh, David, there's nothing I could give you. David, there's nothing I could do for you. David, if I worked for my entire life, I could not do anything to equal what you've done for me. But therein is the grace of God. Uh, people say, well, I believe salvation is by works. How many works do you think you'd have to do to equal the price of the blood of the Son of God? That's the payment that God demands for sin, is a blood sacrifice. How many good works do you think it takes to make up for the blood of Christ if you're going to get to heaven by works? I mean, friend, how many good deeds are you going to have to do? How many doors are you going to have to open for little old ladies? How much money are you going to have to give away that you think it's going to be worth the blood of Christ? No, the Bible says, by grace are ye saved. Grace is God taking someone that is of no benefit to Himself and saving him out of the kindness of Christ Jesus. I want to say that it pictures salvation for two reasons. Mainly, I could give you a lot of reasons. But I want to say that first off, David gave Mephibosheth a new family. Mephibosheth had lost his family. He was alone in the world that he lived in. He was living, in fact, in the house of a servant. He, he had no one. No one. But all of a sudden, in a moment, he goes from being a wretched, shameful specimen alone in this world to now there's a place set for him at the king's table. He's given a new family. He's given new brothers, new sisters. He's given a new father. You know, the Bible says that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. The Bible says uh, that the only way you can inherit the kingdom of God is to be born again, uh, not of the flesh, not by the will of man, uh, not by the will of the flesh, but by the Spirit of God. That's the only way that you can get to heaven. 
Whenever you're born again, the Bible says you're a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. But when you get saved, you get a brand new family. Some of you said, hallelujah, I can get rid of the one that I've got. No, that's not what I said. What I'm saying is you're part of a group of people put together by a common bond and a common unity. Whenever people looked at Mephibosheth, uh, no doubt they would have thought to themselves, he has no business being at the king's table and in the king's house. But you see, when the king said it's all right, it don't matter what other people think. You know, there's probably some people that get saved in this world that people look at and say they've got no business in a church house. They've, not go, they've got no business in the Lord's house. But when the king saved you, it don't much matter what anybody else says. He was given a new family. But I want to say secondly, I'll close with this. He was given a new future. Who knows what would have happened to Mephibosheth. He would have probably just laid there and died in Lodabar. Lodabar was a death sentence to him. If he hadn't died of natural causes, if he hadn't uh, died from some assault from uh, some thief or bandit traveling through, he would have just died of starvation if for no other reason. Uh, you know that a sinner, if he really wants to die and go to hell, if he makes his mind up that he wants to die and go to hell, you know what a sinner has to do to die and go to hell? Absolutely nothing. If he stays in the shape that he's in, when he dies, he'll die and go to hell. But I'm thankful that when God saved me, He gave me a new future. If I had gone the course of natural flesh, if I had never accepted Christ, I would have wound up dead and in hell. But now, praise God, the Bible says that I am an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ. I've been given an inheritance that uh, is incorruptible and fadeth not away. God's changed my destination. I now have a home in heaven. By the blood of Christ. That's the only way you'll get it. That's the only way I've got it. I wonder tonight or today if God's spoken to your heart. Maybe you're here today and you don't know what it is to be a Christian. You've heard a lot of people talk about Christianity a lot. You've gone to church a lot, but you don't know what it is to be a child of God. Can I invite you to come today and meet the King? Can I invite you to come today and let us take a Bible and show you how you can know for sure you're saved? Maybe you're here and you know that you're saved. But you're like a lot of brethren. You know, the Bible says that a man is not to esteem himself above that which he is. We're not to think too highly of ourselves. You know why God gives that exhortation? Because we're prone to do that. That's why He gives that exhortation. And so maybe you're here today and you just want to come down and thank God that He'd look on such a dead dog as you, such a dead dog as me.